This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Love that sound. This is a good one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Waterfowl Wednesday edition of the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Nick Johnson. It has been long overdue since we got a new podcast put out. That is on me. I was in Saskatchewan for nine weeks from August 27th until Halloween night. I was in Saskatchewan guiding um, waterfowl hunts for the Prairie Limits Outfitters operation up there. It is an amazing time. It's crazy hard work and uh, it does not leave much time to nap, to do laundry, to do much of anything and podcasting got kind of put on the back burner while I was up there but yeah I think uh I, I I think it's just it's just the nature of the beast man when you're up there you are basically working from the time you wake up until the time you go to sleep every single day and you get like one day to do your laundry and uh you get maybe a, a little bit of time on lunch to take care of some personal stuff go to the gym do whatever but it is very difficult to try to stay current on a wednesday edition podcast which is right in the middle of the week we were just running hot and heavy but i uh i had a great time up there um i work with an amazing crew of guys those guys, the guys i work with up there are just absolutely incredible in all aspects of the roles that they play within that company we've got brian who's managing the lodge we got ben webster uh who's our head guide and managing who goes where does what who needs rest who's sick who's hunting what field with what group i mean it's an absolute crazy nightmare of logistics that Ben handles so expertly. All the guys I work with, the scouts, Wayne, just crazy good at finding birds and getting us on permission. And um, we got we got Scoob up there also helping up like a master, master helping set up. We got Dylan Graves. We've got Josh Wright. We got Jack Donner. 
We got me all as the hunting guides. And uh, I tell you what, it is a level that is hard to... It's it's difficult for me to to compete on those guys' level. It really is. I feel like like with the with the crew of guys I work up there, like I feel like I am lagging behind in their skill set, which is such a good crew to work with because every day I feel like I'm pushed harder to be better at my hides, be better at my decoy spreads, be better at my calling. Um, it's such a such a great crew, which is and I think the success rate of our hunts kind of bears this out but we are uh we're up there busting our asses and every single person up there is f fulfilling their role and uh it's such a cool it's such a cool working crew to be a part of but we are back i am solo today um i believe that uh I believe that Dale is in North Dakota right now, as well as a lot of other people from what I've heard. Today is Friday, November 3rd. I'm finally sitting down. I got back uh, thanks or, uh, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Jesus Christ. I got back Halloween night, just in time to give out some candy to the last couple groups of kids that were coming home. Ever since then, I've been just unpacking, getting my stuff all uh, taken care of, all the stuff around the house I haven't. Uh, taken care of for the last two months, plus putting together baby cribs and getting together baby stuff. So I've uh, got a couple buddies that are out in North Dakota right now or South Dakota. The migration is on hot and heavy. There's a bunch of trucks circling every single field out there. And uh, it sounds like it's a good time. It sounds like a good time. There's a lot of successful hunts going on. But since we got a, uh, I think uh, I think I'll do maybe like a question and answer uh, podcast in the future, maybe about. Uh, Prairie Limits Outfitters, or hunting in Saskatchewan, or all the different aspects of that, maybe. Uh, but for today, I uh, it has been a long time since I've done a solo podcast. It's been a long time since I've done a podcast. And it would be awesome if I were to actually be able to go through some of the tabs on my Safari browser, because I have had no time to read any tabs for the last two months. I get my Google Alert Daily Digest, I click on the links, and then I just close it, and I don't even read them. So as of now, I'm sitting at 151 tabs. Like, this has just been building and building and building. I'm sure some of them are pretty interesting. I'm sure some of them aren't, but let's frickin' get started with at least one of them here. This is from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service website, U.S. FWS.gov, and the title of this article is U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Promotes Public Access to Hunting and Fishing, New Opportunities Announced at Three National Wildlife Refuges. Continuing the Biden-Harris administration's efforts to increase recreational access on public lands, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced today 48 new distinct hunting opportunities on approximately 3,000 acres within the National Wildlife Refuge System. Today's announcement follows public comment and local engagement on the phase-out of lead ammunition and tackle. This work is central to implementing the America the Beautiful initiative. The president's all of... The president's all-of-government strategy to conserve, restore, and protect 30% of our land and waters. Three national wildlife refuges managed by the service are expanding opportunities for hunting. These refuges are the Cahaba River National Wildlife Refuge in Alabama, Everglades Headquarters National Wildlife Refuge in Florida, and Minnesota Valley National Wildlife Refuge in Minnesota. And that's kind of what got my attention on this one is the Minnesota Valley National Wildlife Refuge in Minnesota because I'm close to that and I'm kind of wondering what the hell did they expand the hunting 
uh, on this, which if you uh, if you've been following me or you've been following anything that's been going on with the federal government, they have really been aggressively opening up lots and lots of um, acres and hunting opportunities across these national wildlife refuge systems since the Trump administration. I think it uh, I think it was one of the very first years uh, the Trump administration was uh, was uh, in power. They they started this whole trend of opening up. Um, the National Wildlife Refuge System to more hunting and fishing opportunities. And I believe in the four years Trump was there, he did it twice. And uh, I mean, the first one was huge. The second one was even more massive. And then once Biden got in, he did it. He He's just continuing this trend as well, which is a nice trend. And uh, it is it is encountering some blowback and some pushback. And there's some articles out there, too, about like the... Uh, about uh, uh, the administration's, I think both Trump and Biden getting sued for this by anti-hunters because uh, I, I get it. Like, hey, uh, aren't these national refuge systems and we're just going to start allowing hunting on them? It's kind of a delicate balance, right? Like uh, if we start, if we allow too much hunting on them, are they really a refuge anymore? But at the same time, the number one uh, concern for hunters is public access to national or to wildlife resources to actually get out hunting. So this is, I, I think overall, this is a good thing. Uh, probably have to find a balance. Obviously we have to keep, uh, safe spaces for birds or they're just going to leave. If, if every national wildlife refuge just becomes a public hunting ground, then obviously it's not a refuge anymore. But this overall, I think the pendulum, is swinging the right direction. I don't think it's swung too far. And if it does swing too far, we can always reel it back. But let's get back to this. I'm just skimming this article to see what... Uh, nah, I can't find it. I can't find it. I don't know what's happening in Minnesota. But they did expand the... Uh, they did expand hunting on one national wildlife refuge in Minnesota. Tab closed. Moving on. Okay, here is one from the Sullivan County Democrat that says, waterfowl, hunt, waterfowl hunter numbers are declining! Exclamation point. Posted Friday, October 27th. Sometimes when I get these uh, local newspaper articles, the Sullivan County Democrat, uh, it doesn't tell me, like, where that's from. Like, cool, uh, Sullivan County. So, like, I'll end up, like, Googling Sullivan County and trying to find out, like, where this article is actually from. Anyways, it says statistics show fewer people hunted ducks and geese last year in North America than during any season in the past 60 years. Since the arrival of COVID-19, recreational activity was restricted. The number of waterfowl hunters in both the United States and Canada were on a downward slide. In the United States, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service migratory bird hunter activity and harvest report shows waterfowl hunter numbers slipped to 913,700 and eight. Did I say that right? 913,700. An 8% decrease from 2021-2022 season. Participation and the lowest tally since 1962. 1 1.04 million waterfowler hunters were active last year. So it went from 1.04 to 913. Um... According to the statistics, statistics from the Canadian Wildlife Service, 125,635 residents hunted waterfowl during the 2022 season. That's the lowest number since Canada began tracking in 1966 and represents a 75% decrease from the country's high of 505,681 in 1978. 
For further stats, the province of Ontario that has the most resident duck and goose hunters had 150,000 waterfowl hunters in 1978 compared to just 44,000 last season. Actually, 44,000 is is quite a lot. That's about half of like what Minnesota has. But I mean, I think if you look at like uh, Manitoba, which obviously Ontario has a much bigger population, but Manitoba has like, I mean, I think it's under 5,000 resident hunters there, something like that. Anyways, the baby boomer generation, people born from 1946 to 1964, have represented a high percentage of the waterfowl hunting population for the past half century. The oldest of the boomers are now 77, while the youngest are 59. The median age, blah, blah, blah. There's a huge urgency to fixing this problem. When that big mass of hunters that are in the system hit age 70, we're going to see a noticeable decline. Also, urbanization, loss of access, less free time, and cost are frequently cited as the reason not to take up hunting. Okay, go on. Uh, <clears throat> this is just hard statistics if you just look at it. Here we got numbers from the Fish and Wildlife Service and from the Canadian Wildlife Service that say, like, hey, these numbers are pretty low. And uh, if you go on social media and just pose a question like, hey, do you think hunter numbers are increasing or decreasing? Everybody has this, has, <laughs> has this impression, like, that waterfowl hunting is, like, the most popular thing ever, and I get it. If I'm scouting, and I see like one other scouter in my area, I'm like, what is this shit? It's a Wednesday. Who's scouting on a Wednesday? This this can't be happening. If I see two other scouters in my area, I'm I'm like devastated by it. I feel the I feel what other people feel, but it's just it's not it's not real life. I can't imagine hunting like in the mid-70s or late-70s when you're talking literally double the amount of waterfowl hunters. But, you know, one thing, too, is the less less waterfowl hunters means less dollars for conservation, which is a major, major, major problem. So our goal needs to be to get more hunters involved, but at the same time, we need more access, we need more conservation, we need more public lands, like, we got to make sure that as we bring people into the system, their dollars are being used to increase the amount of opportunities to sustain an increase in the number of participants, if that makes sense. But, uh, I mean, there's it's like a double-edged sword, right? Less people hunting, more opportunity for me, right? In a selfish sort of way, but less people hunting, is that's not good for our community and for ducks and it's not good for geese that's less members of ducks unlimited delta waterfowl california waterfowl association the wisconsin waterfowl association everything it's less money going into the system it's less interest it's less representation in congress anyways i thought that was that was an interesting article bam down to 149 tabs it's going to be a long podcast buckle up i'm just kidding we'll just do about a half hour here's another article i found that was a little bit interesting from The Truth About Guns. This is related to our last article. This one's called Trending Up. The number of hunters in the U.S. increased 26% in the last five years. Huh. Weird. Didn't we just talk about how, like, uh, yeah, these, these two articles came through on my Google Alerts, like, a uh, day apart from each other. So let's see what this one has to say. And the last article we were talking about was specifically waterfowl hunters. So, like, are there that many more motherfuckers like turkey hunting out there and deer hunting or what the hell's going on? All right. 
by Joe Bartosi. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service just made a significant announcement that all of America's hunters, young and old, should loudly celebrate. Even Americans who don't know the joys and benefits of participating in America's greatest pastime should celebrate as most likely participate in an outdoor activity that a robust hunter population supports. U.S. Fish and Wildlife announced the results of their latest U.S. hunting and fishing participation survey, and it showed that some of the positive trends of the firearm industry saw over the past few years have taken hold and become more enduring than previously thought. There's a bunch of fucking disgusting advertisements on here like the shaving the like ticks off of people's arms and uh, like giant boils on the back of people's heads I don't know how reputable of a fucking site this is the new data is noteworthy not just because of the direct impacts and it jumps around in terms this is a dog shit website in terms of supporting local jobs and local communities but also for the substantial funding that goes back Blah, 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 blah. The results are in. During the coronavirus pandemic, an out, one outgrowth of the lockdowns was an American's interest in buying firearms. Okay. Okay. The data showed that 14.4 million people over the age of six participated in hunting. That's almost 3 million more hunters nationwide since the last survey in 2016. Good for a 26% increase. The good news isn't just seen among hunters, though. Other important outdoor activities saw big increases as well. All told, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service also revealed that 46.2 million people went target shooting, 39.9 people million people fished, and some in the 148 participated in wildlife watching. Permanent model, the big boost in hunting participation represent... Okay, okay. Uh-huh. U.S. Fish and Wildlife is an encouraging reminder of the integral part of firearm safety, hunting, and recreation. Hmm. So, is this a link? Yes. That 14.4 million... That 14.4 million figure was a link, and it just linked to an article by Guns.com. And that article says, Federal Survey Finds Over 140 Million Americans Engaged in Wildlife Activities. Which, we just taught, we just said that number, that 140 million was just wildlife viewing. Uh, what am I about to see? A bunch of ads for shaving ticks off of people's arms and shit again? No, just ads for guns. Ah! That's like one of those articles where I'm like, is this even fucking real, or are people just typing stuff to get people, like, clickbait shit? Anyways. Here, I found a... <laughs> uh, I found this, this this crazy article came through uh, a couple weeks ago. This is by Outdoor Life. There is no uh, boils on the back of heads or tick shaving advertisements on this website. This is by Outdoor Life, and it is called Great White Shark Kills Dog During Sea Duck Hunt. The shark reportedly erupted from below, fatally wounding the Chesapeake Bay Retriever. Jesus Christ! Canadian news outlets have reported an unconfirmed account of a... Well, it's unconfirmed, but let's pretend it is confirmed, and let's, let's just go with it. Of a Chesapeake Bay Retriever named Pepper dying after being bitten by a juvenile great white shark off the coast of Medway Head in southern Nova Scotia on Wednesday. The dog was reportedly retrieving a sea duck at the time. The hunter, who remained unidentified, relayed the shark attack in a written statement to, salt, statement to Saltwire. 
He had been out for a few hours when he shot his second duck of the day at roughly 9 a.m. Pepper had retrieved the first duck in calm waters earlier that morning without issue, but once she grabbed the second duck roughly 20 feet from the boat and turned back to swim, a shark erupted from below her, lifting her into the air and then pushing her down under the surface, the hunter wrote. It happened so quickly and was so shocking that even though I was looking right at her when it happened, I cannot say for certain what type of shark it was. Pepper resurfaced and made it back to the boat where the hunter pulled her in. Her wounds were grievous and she died shortly thereafter. While no further details about the incident have emerged, the hunter did get in touch with the shark researcher to report the incident. I hope this information can help people enjoying the ocean. Ah, I jumped around. Anyways, that's insane. Uh, Pepper, you just go shoot some eider from your layout boat, you're having a freaking awesome morning on the ocean in Nova Scotia, just enjoying life, having a dope-ass sea duck hunt with your homeboy Pepper. Send him out to go get that duck, and all of a sudden, blah, Jaws comes from underneath the water and freaking murders it. God damn, that is insanity. All right, well, we can close that tab now. Oh, Jesus. I guess the Toronto Blue Jays pitcher is a goose hunter, and he found himself in a little bit of trouble by posting a pretty damn good, nice little pile pick on Instagram. This guy is named the Toronto Blue Jays season came to a sudden end on October when relief pitcher Eric Swanson marked the death of the bird season by killing even more birds, at least 17 of them. This is by BlogTO. Swanson shared a post on Instagram this past weekend, posing with one of his two children in front of the corpses of at least 17 Canada geese hunted by the pitcher in Roseau, Minnesota. The 30-year-old shared the photo accompanied by the caption, starting, off, starting the off-season outdoors. Looks like they shot... Ah, it looks like they got some small geese. Uh, looks like they had some giant geese. Looks like they had a standing corn hide. Looks like his kid had an absolute blast. The smile on his face is absolutely gleaming. Oh, boy. This isn't good for the anti-hunters. They just... <laughs> Anyways, uh, it goes on to stay. While goose hunting isn't against the law this time of year, with a permit, of course, a handful of commenters have replied to Swanson's post calling out the North Dakota-born reliever for shooting a bunch of birds. What a sad sight, says one commenter. Well, another remarked, what did they ever do to you? Another chimed in, Canada geese? It's tragic as I live on one of the flight paths and love hearing them fly over in the autumn. Adding, I must ask, is this all I, it, to eat or just for sport? Just as many commenters replied with messages of support. Thank you for doing your part to control the cobra chickens, reads one reply. Others note that while locals, locals in Toronto's may know these animals best for their aggression and prolific pooping abilities, they actually make pretty good eating. Looks like a nice hunt. Time to brush them and throw them in the frying pan. Yeah, cool. I mean, it's, it's, sad, when a, it's sad when people are so fucking disconnected from their food sources that uh you know it, there is a thing though there is there is a thing about posting hunting stuff like personally i love eating steaks i love eating steaks steaks are awesome i love new york strips i love them all but i don't sit there and watch fucking cows get butchered on my instagram all day every day uh, I love eating geese. I love their legs. I love getting burger made out of their breast meat and feed it to my whole family. Uh, every week we're eating goose. Like I'm up in Canada, I'm eating goose every day. I, f I love eating goose. Uh, 
And I also love watching them getting mashed on my Instagram, which is kind of like a weird dynamic. I don't know what that is, but yeah. If I were to like see like uh, just cows getting butchered as I'm scrolling through my Instagram, I'd be like, God damn, like, I don't want to see that shit. Like, I have seen that. (laughs) I have seen videos of butcher shops or whatever, or just pictures of cows. I don't give a shit. I don't know, just something about being connected to the food source when you're a hunter, like you actually have like such a deep appreciation. I don't know. I get like we're non-anti-hunters. They don't want to see that though type of thing, you know, like. And I've seen, like, uh, those coyote videos, like, where dogs rip apart the coyotes or dogs, like, are hunting the coyotes. I don't really like seeing that either, but it's like, uh, but other people do. So, I don't know. Everybody's got their own personal lines drawn for that. Boop. We're going to close that one out. All right. Here's another one from Field and Stream. Utah warns waterfall hunters after thousands of birds die from a disease outbreak in the Great Salt Lake. Tens of thousands of birds have been impacted by a suspected outbreak of avian botulism in northern Utah. This is by Travis Hall. It's published October 13th, and this is in Field and Stream magazine. Let's dive in a little bit and find out a little bit more. Back in mid-September, biologists with the the Utah Department of Wildlife Resources began finding dead birds at waterfowl refuges in the northern part of the Beehive State. According to an October 5th press release, UDWR officials suspected that the birds died from a disease called avian botulism. With duck season now underway, the department is advising waterfowl hunters on what to do should they encounter sick or dying birds in the area. Avian botulism outbreaks aren't unheard of in Utah, UDWR said in a press release. In fact, the disease tends to proliferate every year, usually between July and September, when hot, rainy weather facilitates the growth of the anaerobic bacteria that causes botulism. But this year's outbreak is particularly widespread. While the exact number of birds that died can't be confirmed with certainty, DWR biologists estimate that tens of thousands were impacted. UDWR said, particularly in the areas of the Bay, Bear River Bay and Willard Spur Waterfowl Management Area. The Bear, the Bear River Bay Waterfowl Refuge and the Willard Spur Wildlife Management are in the northeastern finger of the Great Salt Lake, along the eastern edge of the Pacific Flyway and the western edge of the Central Flyway. The Great Salt Lake itself is one of the most important breeding areas of, for waterfowl in the Intermountain West, according to Ducks Unlimited. Uh, staging up to 4 million ducks and geese every year. Let's see. Well, anyways, I guess tens of thousands of ducks and geese died from avian botulism. Botulism is a natural toxin found in soil. There are several types of botulism toxins, and birds are impacted by a variety that doesn't affect humans. The USGS states on its website, Once contracted, the toxins can override a bird's nervous system and interfere with muscle movements. Typical signs in waterfowl and other bird species include weakness, lethargy, and the ability to hold the head up and fly, and or fly. Anyways, um, speaking of diseases, I did not see any um, suspected bird flu while I was in Saskatchewan the last two months. Now, uh, through my... uh, my social channels. I have seen a couple of minor uh, suspected bird flus since this cold snap the last couple of weeks. Like, but but nothing, no major events. But I I know out west it seems like botulism is is a more of a is is more of an issue. And um, they they have another disease out there too. There's botulism and there's uh 
I can't remember right now. They, uh, it seems like the West Coast seems to have more problems with those mass disease die-offs. Anyways, I am going to close that. Let's see what else we got here. Here we go. Dakota News Now. State launches efforts to fight duck hunting decline and protect habitat. Sioux Falls, South Dakota. State officials are embarking on a comprehensive plan to boost duck hunter numbers that have been declining for two decades and to preserve waterfall habitat in the process. The plan focuses on providing better access for hunters. It's a joint venture between South Dakota Wildlife Federation, the South Dakota Waterfall Association, and the state's Department of Game, Fish, and Parks. Duck season participation dropped 29% from 33,950 in 2005 to 24,166 in 2022, according to the department. Meanwhile, the number of non-resident hunters, which is subject to license caps has fluctuated between 3,800 and 4,700 since 2012. A survey from 2009 revealed that two-thirds of the state's duck hunters had difficulty finding places to hunt, with eight two-thirds of the state's duck hunters. So does that mean residents are having trouble finding places to hunt? Because there's literally a hundred fucking public fields that you can hunt out by pier that are awesome goose hunting, but you can't hunt them if you're a non-resident, even if you get that non-resident license for that pier zone. That, that area out there with those counties, you can only hunt private land. So those public pits that are really good goose hunting are not available to anybody who's a non-resident. Anyways, I'm assuming they mean finding tr trouble finding places to hunt around their house. With 85% pointing to overcrowding as their primary concern. So these people have, in the state of South Dakota, 24,000 hunters. And they think it's overcrowded. 24,000 hunters. We have 80,000 hunters in Minnesota. Roughly. Roughly 80,000 duck and goose hunters in Minnesota. They have 24,000. And uh, they think it's overcrowded. You know what? It just goes back to, uh, hey, if that what I was talking about earlier. When I see two people scouting in my area, I think it's the end of the fucking world. And it's not. It's just other people who also like to have fun. But it, it it's like... <laughs> at what point is it not overcrowded? Like, if there's, you know, a hundred duck hunters in the state of... And if, if there was a hundred duck hunters in the state of South Dakota, any one of those people that saw anybody else duck hunting <laughs> would say that, ah, Jesus, it's overcrowded. At what point is it not overcrowded? Like, you all only got 24,000 fucking hunters. You're the only state that restricts the, um, the number of non-resident licenses that you allow. And now we're talking about how do we boost participation in duck hunting? I don't know. Maybe we could start with that whole fucking lottery thing. All right. Anyways. Meanwhile, the number of non blah, blah, blah. A survey from 2009, blah, blah, blah. I already read that. Overcrowding as their primary access to private lands, often granted in decades past after a talk with a landowner, has been reduced. They don't have any data on that. That's just somebody like, I used to get permission and now I can't. Some hunters blame the rise in paid hunting guides. Of course they do. Where's the data? There's no data on landowners giving less permission. This is just all, like, old dudes complaining is what it sounds like. They can offer landowners a lot more money than, well, the, your average South Dakotan 
would be comfortable paying, said Zach Hunky with the South Dakota Wildlife Federation. The group lobbies on behalf of, of in-state hunters and anglers who are concerned about the commercialization of hunting and fishing. The decline isn't just a matter of of fewer people enjoying a pastime, it has implications for wetland conservation in the state. Duck hunter groups serve as some of the most vocal advocates for wildlife and habitat conservation and hunting licenses. Fees provide funds for wildlife management and conservation projects. All duck hunters are recorded by a federal duck stamp in addition to their migratory bird. Blah, 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 blah. That stuff kind of riles me up a little bit. Here's something that I, uh, I came across... That was kind of interesting. It's called the Earth Species Project. I'm on their website, the Earth Species Project. The Earth Species Project is a nonprofit dedicated to using artificial intelligence to decode non-human communication. We believe that an understanding of non-human languages will transform our relationship with the rest of nature. Along the way, we are building solutions that are supporting real conservation impact today. So... I heard about this somewhere, the Earth Species Project. Okay, it's a they're using like all this brand new like AI uh, language decoding software to try to figure out like what whales are saying and shit. And uh, I just thought that was pretty cool because uh, if they could figure out what those giant Canada geese are saying, I would really appreciate it. Like if I could figure out how to exactly tell Canada geese <laughs> what. So anyways, I thought this was cool and I like listened to this podcast about it and uh, it was not interesting. It was like just a whole like just, uh, just, just these scientists just jerking themselves off about this pretty interesting uh, like software that they had developed, which is cool. But they couldn't, like, they were so busy jerking each other off about it that, like, they couldn't make it cool for me to, like, feel engaged. Like, I wanted to actually learn more about this. And I just kind of came, I came across it. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to learn more about it. I'm going to check out this podcast. And, like, 25 minutes into the podcast, I was like, eh, this is actually not that interesting. But get back to me when you learn what them giant Canada geese are saying. All right, let's see what else we got. Paywall. Not going to be reading that one. Hey, anyways, guys, we're at 32 minutes. I'm going to shut her down, actually. I'm shutting her down. I'm down to 143 tabs. We got plenty more of these episodes that we can bang out in the future. Um, if you guys want to reach out to me, and uh, maybe we could do a Q&A as well on Saskatchewan and all of my experiences up there, maybe we could do an episode on that. Maybe we'll have to get Dale back on. We'll chit-chat about some of those questions, or we'll just go through more tabs, man. I got enough, uh, I got 143 tabs, dude. That's like, what do we go through, like eight? Yeah, we got episodes on episodes on episodes. We can, we can start banging these out. Anyways, it's good to be back. Um, guys, if you uh, need to get better at blowing that goose call, check out the Goose Tech app. Check out the Pacific Call Signature Series. And, uh, oh, also, I, uh, I've i been talking to Trevor Austin with Pacific Calls. He wants to start doing some podcast stuff with me as well for the Pacific Calls podcast, which I'd, I'm obviously interested in, you know, chit-chatting more about ducks and geese at any time. And uh, last night, actually, I was just over at uh, Joe Heinz's house, and we did an episode of uh, the Joe Heinz Four Score podcast, which would have been my third appearance, third or fourth appearance on his podcast. And uh, it got pretty gnarly, man. We were telling like uh, we were telling like little hoodlum stories about us being kids and doing bad kid shit. It was fucking hilarious, man. I was crying, just laughing so hard. Anyways, uh, thanks for tuning in. 
and we will catch you next week.